gracious God loving Father, we thank thee once again for this wonderful privilege we have to meet collectively to study thy word. We thank thee for our salvation, our dear Lord. We thank thee for the work that thou accomplished here on earth and on the cross. We can truly come before a risen Saviour. As we open these scriptures, our Lord, we do pray that there'll be a great benefit to each individual, to each assembly, and they'll be uplifting. We just, once again, we thank thee for this opportunity we have. We can all come together in this way. In the Saviour's precious name, amen. Amen. Yesterday afternoon, we started um, reading in John chapter 13, and we continued making comments up until verse 31. And we agreed yesterday that we'd recommence reading from John 13, verse 31. And it might be worth reading down into chapter 14. Um, and perhaps down to verse 7. John 13, from verse 31 to 14, verse 7. When therefore he was gone out, Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God also shall glorify him in himself, and shall glorify him immediately. Children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I go you cannot come, I say to you also now. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all know that you are disciples of mine, if you have love amongst yourselves. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where goest thou? Jesus answered him, Where I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me after. Peter says to him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thee. Jesus answered, Thou wilt lay down thy life for me. Verily, verily, I say to thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also on me. In my father's house, there are many abodes. Were it not so, I had told you, for I go to prepare you a place. And if I go and shall prepare you a place, I am coming again and shall receive you to myself. But where I am, there ye also may be. And you know where I go, and you know the way. Thomas says to him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father unless by me. If you had known me, you would have known also my Father. And henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Yesterday, we spent a, a little time looking at the section in chapter 13, commencing at verse 18. And we noticed especially the awful, the terrible effect upon the spirit of the Lord Jesus as a man 
knowing the treachery and the betrayal of Judas, one who had in an outward way been um, in the position of being his friend and yet would lift up his heel against him. But at the same time as seeing that um, the crushing um, sense that, that pressed upon his human emotions, we also would, in a spirit of rejoicing, to see the Lord Jesus in his greatness as the eternal God, the one who said in verse um, 19, when it happens, you might believe that I am. It's the name of the eternal God. Not only does he have the name of the eternal God, but he knew all that was coming and was in control of all that was coming. He, in effect, gave permission to Judas and gave permission to Satan, even, who had entered into Judas, to proceed with that terrible task that he was about to embark upon in meeting up with the Jewish leaders for the betrayal of the Lord Jesus. At that point, Judas goes out and immediately we find that outside it's night. It's night for Judas, for his soul. It's night for the religious leaders. It's night for the world around about. And that darkness ultimately will be coming upon the Lord Jesus himself as he suffers. But we reached the point yesterday, verse 31, where Judas having gone out, the Lord Jesus says, now is the son of man glorified. And perhaps um, at this point, the, the brothers can make some further comments. Spoke also the Last Supper, that was the end of something old, Passover, and then comes something new. This something new happened after Judas had departed. It was there for the old, he departed into the night, and then Jesus was to give them a new direction how they were to treat one another, how they will go forward. So it was the last time he would ever be with his own at the table. It was the last time he would be able to assist and direct them. And this time now, so much over his head, and he spoke yesterday, he could give this clear direction, knowing he was to be betrayed, knowing he would be denied. This was on his mind, and yet he could still give the direction to his disciples and virtue to us. So it's a it's a fitting time to continue here where this not just was the Lord's Supper being introduced, but it was also the end of the old. The Lord Jesus says here. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And what's just happened? Judas has gone out into the night. So the son of Adam has gone out into darkness. But there is now 
a display of of humanity, perfect humanity, uniquely perfect humanity, in direct contrast, complete contrast to the son of Adam, the son of man, the man from heaven, is now the one who in complete obedience, complete submission, but also in complete concord with the will and the purposes of God, going to display and testify through who he is and through what he's going to do and through who he currently is with and who he will be with, the perfections of humanity that God has never had before him before. So he can say the son of man is glorified. He is now uniquely alone in his own complete excellence. And because of that, God is glorified in him. It's a most unique statement and it introduces us, as you're saying, into that which is going to be new. The result of the cross, we are brought. He brings in a new creation. And he is first fruit of new creation, firstborn from among the dead, and then he brings fruit to himself, which is also part of his glory. Now is the Son of Man glorified. The Son of Adam is gone, has gone out, and is no more counted before God. From the, the comments that we started making yesterday on this verse, it seems there are two different lines of thought. and we, we didn't make that clear yesterday. The one possible um, explanation of verse 31 is that the Lord Jesus is anticipating the cross and is anticipating the results of the work on the cross and saying something using the past tense as describing what would happen in the future. The other alternative explanation is that the Lord is talking about what has just happened with Judas going out. Now, those two explanations are not mutually contradictory. They might work both hand in hand. But certainly the fact that Judas had gone out took away any shadow, any cloud upon the, um, the character and the relationships in which the Lord Jesus was. He was now exclusively in a relationship of fellowship with people who were going to be amongst the redeemed. The son of perdition had gone. Evil had gone out. And now the Lord, as we mentioned yesterday, is free to unfold all of the greatness of the things of God. He speaks of what's in his heart. He speaks of where he's going. He speaks of the Father's house, the Father's glory, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in this, he is glorified and God is glorified in him. Of course, ultimately, the most magnificent display of the glory of the Son of Man and of God will happen at the cross. And we have to remember that from this point until the cross is less than 24 hours away. 
So a stream of events has now been set in motion by Judas going out. And that stream of events will result ultimately in the manifestation of the glory of God and of the Son of Man. But now in the next verse, it, cha- it said, we saw here that the Son of Man glorified by, in the next verse, say, he shall be glorified. So what the difference between two, the two glorified and shall be glorified. I think, George, that adds weight to the suggestion that verse 31 is speaking about the glory that has come about as a result of Judas going. And verse 31 then speaking of the shall shall be, the cross, and all of the results of the cross, including the the resurrection and the glorification of the Lord. Do you think, Greg, then the, um, the impediments out in relation to what would mar the communion with the uh, Lord with his own that he's drawing around himself. We see really the next few chapters leading from here of this special, unique um, unfolding um, of these truths that the Lord has for his own. Those that he is going to die for, those that he has loved and is uh, going to give himself for. But there's, there seems to be this, you might say, a special level of communion here from this verse onwards in relation to unfolding all that he has the heart of God for each one. Yeah, we might might say, and I, I think um, Donald um, made a remark yesterday about the, um, the way that from this point in chapter 13 through to the end of chapter 17, um, five chapters almost, spoken in about one hour this compressed teaching all the books that um, the world could contain would be filled up if everything that the lord jesus had said and done was written but here the spirit of god has chosen in these five chapters to give us something which is infinitely precious and infinitely glorious and so we we i I don't think we'd make a mistake in saying that in these five chapters, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. So if, um, in, in regard to George's question just before, if verse 32 refers then specifically to the cross and the results of the cross, including the resurrection and the Lord's glorification, then in verse 33 the Lord speaks to his disciples, telling them that where I go, you cannot come. Certainly the case that they could not have gone to that place where he was going to make atonement for sin. They could not go to where he would be the sin bearer. They could not share in that. When we come into chapter 14, he speaks of a place where they would go, where he desired to have them. The father's house so i would understand then here verse 33 the where i go to be a reference to the cross is any significance to the word the lord start verse 33 with 
my children. He didn't use, he didn't use to say to them, my children, but why here? Is it because Judas had gone out? Um, I was just looking in Hebrews chapter 2, when it says of the Lord Jesus, Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. And in the previous chapter, it was talking about, I speak uh, in verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. Then there, when he's gone out and Jesus is now glorified, he can refer to them as dear children. It's even more than that, Dave. What you say is true and it's wonderful. But there's a little as, uh, extra in what he says here. Uh, the King James Version says little children. And in the Greek, it is that thought of little children, dear little children. Now, you know what it's like to look on the little children with great affection, not when they're being naughty and you're grumpy, but when they're with you, they are yours, my little children. And as George said, he's not used this term before because he hasn't had those that have been with him have not all been in that character. But now he has the little children and he talks about them when he says that when I was with them, I kept them in your, thy name. Those whom you have given me, I have guarded and not one of them has perished. He has cared for and treated and embraced these ones with great affection. The affection that he has for these is a huge affection. And we are going to see him give a practical flow from that, that term little children, when we get into verse 34, and we will get there, Lord willing, in the next little while. But what, what a heart is contained in that term, little children. It's very, very precious. In, in addition to the reference Dave made to um, Hebrews chapter 2, I've often thought of um, verses such as John 21, where the Lord Jesus says, children, have you any meat? Have you got any food? Have you caught any fish? Um, we know that it's very important to distinguish between the persons of the Godhead. We know that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son, came to make known the Father. He made him known, but there was no capacity in men to accept or understand that revelation until the Lord Jesus had risen again. Clearly, a distinction exists between the Father and the Son. But here, the Lord Jesus himself acts in a fatherly way. He refers to his disciples as though he were their father. He refers to them in that way in John 21. He refers to them in that way in Hebrews 2. I and the children whom God has given me. I think it's a nice reference to 
the question that was asked in Isaiah 53. The one who was cut off, the question is asked, who shall declare his generation? How is he ever going to have any offspring because he has gone into death? And the answer is, because he's gone into death, because he's risen again, there are those who derive from him, who are, are, are produced as a result of his finished work. The, the other figure in John's gospel for that is a grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying in order to produce much fruit. It's as though here the Lord is anticipating the results of the cross, the benefit that would happen for these disciples. It's about um, 60 years or so uh, on from when the Lord said this. And um, I was thinking um, in John 1, it says, of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And so... That's what uh, John's summary is, 60 years on. And he's able to say, use the same expression that the Lord used. He speak, he, when he writes his, second epistle, his first epistle, he uses this same term, which he's learned from the Lord Jesus, little children. It's quite a, um, a nice thought, I, I thought. Do you think that generation that follows that you're speaking of, Greg, um, he had in view that his children would follow after him? I was just thinking of um, when he refers to the fact that he says, a new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then in um, Ephesians 5, it says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, or imitators of God as dear children. So they would follow him morally in the character that they reproduced. And then in chapter 14 of John's Gospel, they would follow him literally into Amen. that very place where he is now. What Greg says is helpful, very helpful. And the Lord starts this um, little bit in verse 33, calling them little children. And then he says, where I go, you cannot come. He said that to the Jews, I think back in somewhere around about chapter 8 or something. And he's now saying it to them because there's only one person who can go to the cross. There's only one person who can carry out the work that God has given him that he should do it in that absolute sense. And so he's unique there. They cannot go where he is going to go. Uh, we'll see how Peter saying that he's going to go there and the Lord gets a little bit sarcastic maybe with him but um, morally because of the cross we can um, imitate and show forth the love which he has shown and that's part of the big teaching that we get over the next three chapters 
14, 15, and 16, another comforter I give to you. There is a new life that's coming into firstly his disciples and then to all those who believe on him through their work. And that new life is the life of Christ. And the epistles that Paul was so strong in bringing out was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes even further. He says, put on as the elect of God, as holy and beloved. He's using terms of great affection, but great dignity that come because morally believers now can follow the things of the Lord Jesus. And what a thing it is to look for that time when we will be lifted up and we will physically and totally be changed and be in his presence so that we will be fully like him. It's, it's, a, it's a very precious thought. And the way he unfolds it over these next few chapters is very precious to us. There's a difference here between what the Lord says um, to the disciples and what he had said to the Jews in chapter 8. Um, and in chapter 7, um, he says two times. In chapter 7, when he's speaking to the Jews, he says, where I am, you cannot come, and you shall seek me and shall not find me. Um, in chapter 8, he says, where I go, you cannot come, and you shall die in your, you shall seek me and you shall die in your sins. But for the disciples, it's something different. Um, it's speaking just directly of the cross. And he says, where I go, you cannot come. Um, but he doesn't say, when, when, when he says, and you shall seek me, he doesn't say you shall not find me, like he had said to the Jews. Um, there's not that included to what he says in the, to the disciples. Um, he was here acting in, um, in love and protection to them. We've, we've commented how he acts in a fatherly way to them. But to them, um, where he goes, they cannot come to the cross. To the Jews, he had said, where I am, you cannot come. And he was speaking about going up to be with the father who had sent him. But to the disciples, he says, where I am, there ye may be also. So there's both the times that he speaks it to the Jews. Where I am, you cannot come. Well, the disciples are going to be where he is. Um, where I go, you cannot come. Um, you shall seek me and not find me. Not so to the disciples. The disciples shall seek him and they shall find him, but they can't go where he's going to the cross. It's impossible to sing hymns using this system, but there are some beautiful words in hymn number 46. Um, for those who've got hymn books, I'll just read from the third verse in hymn number 46. And many will know these words very well. It's, None could follow there, blessed Saviour, when thou didst for sins atone. For those sufferings, deep, unfathomed, were, Lord Jesus, thine alone. We sing those, those words in the hymn because they're true, because they reflect the truth of Scripture. But don't we also love to sing 
words in hymns that speak about the Lord's coming, that speak about when we will be with him, when we will follow, when we'll be like him. And those things he reserves to describe until chapter 14. He tells us this, that as Michael has just said, where I go, you cannot come now. That's to the cross. He then reiterates it in verse 36. <clears throat> Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where goest thou? Jesus answered him, where I go, thou canst not follow me now. But thou shalt follow me after. And that's what we're saying. We will be able to follow after when he comes for us. And we will be able to follow him morally. But in between that, those two statements, we get this very precious, very challenging verse 34. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In fact, he makes the emphasis, he repeats it to put the emphasis on. And this is for the disciples, for the little children, for those who believe on him through their, believe on his name through their work, for us, that until such time as we do go to be with him as we get in chapter 14, there is a moral condition that we are brought into and that we are to exercise. And it's, it's a commandment. It's, it's very emphatic. He repeats it two more times in these, um, these, this, this hour or hour and a bit that he speaks to them. And it's repeated throughout the New Testament. It's the most repeated phrase that we have for the Christian age. And it comes here, which he sets up for us. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And it's, it should have a huge impact on our lives should have a huge impact on the way we behave, on the way we look at each other. And we should be humbled when we think about how we do look at each other and then test it against this amazing uh, commandment that he gives to us because it's so precious for it. And it's for us between the times he went to the cross and when we follow after him into his father's house. It's very, very deliberately placed in between those two statements. In the Old Testament, we have this commandment, love your neighbor. But here, as we heard, it is a new commandment. Is it, this is new because the way or the standard of loving has I have loved you, that you also love one another. If you have a look at the first epistle of John, it may um, 
give an indication as to why and how this is new. The first epistle of John, chapter 2, in verse 7, he says, Beloved, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard. Again, I write a new commandment to you, which thing is true in him and in you. The sense in which this commandment is new is that we are now new. And we got an impression of that in verse 33. We're now those who are the offspring of the Lord Jesus to be with him and like him. The commandments in the Old Testament were commandments given as a test of man in the flesh. Man told to do something in order to expose to his own heart that he was unable to do it. And yet men thought it was the way of salvation. They thought it was the way to God. But those commandments were given to prove man's incapability to do them. But the commandments of the New Testament are commandments given to a nature that has the capacity to and the love of doing what is commanded. And when you think about a commandment like this, love one another, what's the immediate reaction of our new nature, of our Christian nature? It's not, oh, no, I don't want to do that. No, um, perhaps sometimes we forget that we love one another. It's occasions like this when we're forced to be apart that we're, we long for one another's companionship. We long to be together. We remember how much we love one another. Well, when we're apart, we remember that. Let's not forget it when we're together in all of the little details about how we treat one another because the way we treat one another ultimately is an expression of that love. But Greg, that... Those verses there, as you say, I don't know where that's coming out of right now, but um, it really is a lead into the epistles of John, isn't it? The uh, the divine family, you might say. It's a relationship, a new divine relationship that we're brought into. And these few verses here sort of segue, you might say, straight into First John, really in relation to our relationships one with another that is divine, not natural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately, I have here my, my Bible is Arabic, but um, I tried to ask this question. Um, um, when the Judah went out, it, that was mean uh, uh, the second is, is left disabled, or what? I couldn't know that. Um, I want uh, to add that question. Um, in bedside um, in, in one, uh, the Judah went out. And that he went out forever, and he won't come back again. Uh, just, um, just uh, trans- translate it because I have my Bible here in, uh, in Arabic. Does that mean this the Judah went out? Does that mean the, the disabled be um, clear without Satan anymore? And the the, the second question here in that um, in in eighteen. Could you have someone that translated in Arabic? Yeah, I did. I did. Tamanu Shirin. 
مبلغ الشيطان السكيورتي عقد اللقمة في 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 بوغو بعد ذاك عقل بسرعة بعد ذاك هي هو متكين بعد هل بيقول هنا وأما عزا فلم يفهم أحد من متكين لماذا الكلمة به so that is my question هذا ثمانية وعشرين أيوة يعني أنت بتقول إن إن هم مش فاهمين الرب كان بيقول له ليه كده آه يعني التلاميذ يكون ما فهموش ليه؟ اه هو واضح ان التلاميذ ما فهموش بس انا ترانسليت يور كويشن ان انجلش. براذر ماون از او اسكينج اباوت وين ذا لورد جيف جودس ذا مارسل اند ساتن انتر انتو هيم اند جيزس ذير فور سايز تو هيم وات ذاو داز ات ذاو كويكلي اند It seems to be the other disciple didn't know what is going on. Is it true? Yes, that is my question. Thank you, Brother Jamir. You're welcome. It's certainly true the other disciples did not know. Yeah. But the Lord Jesus knew. And because he knew, he was now free to open his heart and speak of the most precious things. that could not reach the ears of a man like Judas. Thank you, Brother Greg. Just uh, it was the same time that uh, uh, Judas left. After Judas left, if you go to the parallel passage in Luke 22, uh, We read that there was, in verse 24, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And uh, here, uh, they didn't understand the whole thing about what the Lord was saying. Actually, they had that dispute, who is the greatest? The Lord was saying to them, you're not going to have to establish the kingdom. I'm not going there. Actually, you can't follow me. You can't be there at my right and my left. There shall be two thieves, both on my, both on my right and my left, and you cannot follow me. And when they came to arrest him, he said, let these go. They can't come. And he told Peter later on that he cannot follow. Uh, the other thing which I just would like to, uh, as we have come back to that verse in, uh, in chapter 13 and uh, verse 28, uh, I think the Lord Jesus was not telling Judas here to uh, go and continue to uh, accomplish his mission in sinning against him and betraying him. The Lord was telling him, now it is a time of decision to be made. What you have to do, you have to do very quickly. And I'll just get the verse in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Now is an acceptable time. 
Now is the day of salvation. Or Hebrew chapter 3, verse 8. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Judas couldn't, uh, couldn't make the right decision, and he made the wrong decision. But I, I do think that the Lord was giving him the last opportunity for grace to respond. Of course, God's will will be accomplished, whether through Judas or someone else. It is, we know that there is divine election and there is God's plan, God's foreknowledge. But for us, if it, there is, as far as man's responsibility is concerned, Judas had to respond and to make a decision as everyone here hears the voice of grace. The Lord Jesus offered him the voice of grace in many opportunities. He was a thief. He was a robber. He took what is in the bag. He was a treasurer. The Lord kept these things without unveiling what he is because the Lord was showing more grace. But the more grace was given to Judas, the more he was responding and uh, uh, gave opportunity for Satan to to fill him. Uh, the disciples didn't understand all that happened because there was a dispute among them and the Lord was speak, rebuking them as little children. Uh, it's the same way he was in love rebuke, rebuking them as we mentioned, as was mentioned before in chapter 21. These are the two occasions he refers them as children because they were not mature to understand as many opportunities when we are when we don't understand what the Lord is doing. It's an interesting also when we see that the disciples didn't really understand what was going on. We spoke about the situation with Judas. They never understood the situation right to the end. We could say what we say today, the eleventh hour before the Lord went to the cross. You look back in Luke. 22 and 45 is the time in the garden. This is the 11th hour before he's going to be brought before Pilate, before he's going to be judged, before he goes to his death. He went into the garden to pray to the Lord. This would be his final time where he was coming before the Father, praying so earnestly. He spoke of the prayer being of great drops of blood falling to the ground was praying so earnestly that an angel came to assist him. And what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. They were sleeping. And when he came back and he found them sleeping, very shortly after, he was arrested. So then it makes us think how much the disciples were really understanding what was happening. We just spoke earlier. They're wondering who was the greatest amongst themselves. Were they thinking more about themselves and their time there? Not really comprehending what the law was about to go through. You see that in um, verse 37, don't you? You see that in verse 37, where Peter said unto him, Lord, why canst I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And the Lord Jesus had been speaking of glorified, if 
in verse 32, God shall glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. And then we've read to love one another. It's obvious without the Spirit of God, there can be no real understanding of what the Lord Jesus was about to do, what he was about to bring in, and the glory that he was about to reveal to us. You see it in chapter 17. He desired that we can all be one with him and contemplate his glory as of the only begotten with the Father. He desired that we should understand fully his love. But Peter said, I'm ready to lay down my life for the for the Lord. And he wasn't joking. But he didn't have the capacity or the strength to do it in his in his own power. So he denied the Lord three times. Does it not show how great the love of our Lord Jesus is? He knows the hearts of his disciples. And even though he is revealing uh, his whole heart to them, and uh, he is speaking about his love to them, his love that is unconditionally, that is not connected with some conditions, is not connected with a good heart in itself because we are all evil in ourselves. But this love is such a great love. It's so different than to the Old Testament. It's a new benchmark, I would say, uh, a new uh, a new line that he gives us here. The love of the of the of the Lord Jesus. And when we when we look into um, John 17, we find how great that love is, because it says that in in John 17 that he loved us as. Um, yeah, in first in twenty six, I think it's first twenty six, um, where we find that the Lord Jesus says, "And I have made known to them thy name, and will make it known that the love which which thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them." So it's it's somehow the the love of the Father the, to the Lord Jesus that is able to, or that now we are able to love. In, in the same way, but uh, this is the new measure, right? So that's nothing. This is the highest measure of love we can have: the love between the Father and the Son. And um, this is what we, what we can know that we should love in this unconditional way, uh, yeah, continuously, um, as He loved us. And I think this is so. Um, encouraging and comforting for our hearts because we know that we fail we know that we are weak and often and we need the um, the security or the yeah especially then when we are weak or when we fail that he still loves us of course he wants to bring us back into his fellowship that's clear but here we find that he speaks to us that we should love with, with this this kind of love as uh, as he has given us I think uh, Peter, Peter thought that following the Lord is something easy and even in Matthew 26 he tried to follow the Lord but he followed it from afar with a tent with him and he said here I put myself for you he wasn't able to do that but I imagine the Lord answering him Peter you can't put myself for me, but I am the one who will put himself for you, Peter. 
in verse 36, the Lord answered Peter and he said, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Of course, he cannot follow him now. But now, this is a time of suffering from the hand of men and the hand of God. Of course, he cannot follow him for the suffering from the hand of God. No one can follow this one. But the saints can follow him from on the, for, uh, on, uh, in this, from the suffering of the, from the hand of man of men. But Peter cannot follow him now because now is not the time of suffering for the saints. The sufferings of the saints will be later on. So Peter cannot follow him now for either sufferings, the sufferings from the hand of men or the sufferings from the hand of God. Suffering from the hand of God is only for Christ, for the Lord Jesus. Suffering from hand of men, it will come later for either Peter or the other saints. And this happened afterwards. And even Peter, his sufferings was very uh, uh, close to the sufferings from the hand of men of the Lord Jesus. He was crucified upside down. Well, Peter learns that in the last chapter, doesn't he? He, when he's recovered, chapter 21, verse 18, the Lord speaks to him about his death there. So he he, 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 he learns the lesson as recovered at this point. As, as Peter's outlined, he denies the Lord, but the Lord is gracious, isn't he? Very gracious with Peter. And Peter here is, 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 is relearns that, you might say, that lesson of the way of going into death for the Lord himself. Donald, I think we cut you off before. It's been very interesting and uh, I think very helpful, much of the comments. What I was going to say was, we said before, this is the beginning of about an, an hour or one or two hours um, discourse, if that's the right word, of the Lord to his disciples. And we've mentioned it. He starts with the glory, the glory which he as son of man is receiving, the glory which God is getting and will get from him. And then he brings in the love, the love with which he is bringing to his um, disciples and to bring his disciples into that love. And the end of this discourse, as um, uh, Brother Manuel has just been saying in chapter 17, is exactly the same. The glory which he has, the glory which the believers are brought into, but even more than that, the glory which God has given him, which is uniquely his, but that is wrapped around or shared with or, or intertwined with the love with which the Father has loved him is the love with which he has loved us and it's the love with which we then have for one another. And the, if we look at those two lines in these five chapters, the glories and the love, we find them connecting time and again I won't go through these chapters and, and take the time to do it. We can do it at home. But there's, there's uh, just some amazing things. that you know, And this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. 
and you shall become disciples of mine as the father has loved me i also have loved you abide in my love these this theme with different aspects to it comes right through these five chapters and if we're going to live christian lives and live them together with one another we need to be living these um the, these live this life out with each other to do it mm. and we don't under they didn't understand it P- peter is very uh, he's he's a, of two minds here cuz in 37 lord why can't i follow you now and then in chapter 18 he tries to stop the um the you know the the officers and the rabble coming to arrest him he tries to cut off he pulls out his sword and starts to fight with them and the lord says now put your sword away i've got to drink the father the cup that the father's given me peter is of two minds and even after the lord was risen and um just before he was taken up into glory what was the last last question they asked the lord before he went into heaven they said are you going to restore the kingdom to israel now and they they still couldn't get their their minds around what it was but then a few days later after the spirit of god came on them peter the one who's of two minds the one who doesn't quite know what he's doing is now the one who says by the determinant counsels and foreknowledge of god this jesus whom you have crucified god has made both lord and christ i know that's a paraphrase of a much bigger sermon but he says in chapter 14 lord willing we'll get to it he says but in that day you shall know that i am in the father and you are in me and i am in you what day the day that the comforter comes and love glory and the indwelling of the holy spirit in christians is the central thing of our christian life and that's what the lord opens up in these chapters and he's introducing it here in these just these few very first verses that we've been reading um at the end of chapter 13 that's that's a bit more than I was going to say but I've said it we have um often in bible studies um young people's meetings in our own homes we have questions and sometimes we're reluctant to ask questions because we think they're a bit silly sometimes we hear others ask questions and privately in our minds without saying so we think oh that's a bit of a silly question but the lord jesus he was glad to receive silly questions the silly question we might say from peter here in verse 36 gets the most wonderful of answers in chapter 14 from verse 1 and then in chapter 14 there's more silly questions from from thomas and from philip 
And on each one of these occasions, there's an opportunity for the Lord to introduce and unfold the most marvelous truth. So I was wondering, and we, we don't have much time left in, in this Bible study, I was wondering if we could move into chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, which not only answers Peter's question, but brings us into perhaps one of the most precious themes that we that we know of in the New Testament, the coming again of the Lord Jesus to take us to be with himself, to share that house that he belongs to and to make it ours as well, the Father's house. So he establishes here a place, doesn't he? A place beyond this earth or place where they are now establishes a new relationship a heavenly relationship you might say a place and then as Donald's outlined the flowing of the rest of this, these chapters is in a relation of the service and the testimony of each of while we're waiting for his return but he, as you say Greg he establishes this new thought this uh, new truth which is given to the disciples that lifts them beyond the current circumstances. I think by the end of chapter 13, there was a little bit of silence, because nobody was able to speak or to talk about anything. The Lord exposed Judas to the betrayer. The Lord is explained to Peter he's going to deny him. And this is, after that, I think the disciples got shocked and got confused. And then nobody was was able to even open his mouth again. So the Lord starts chapter 14. He starts to comfort them. And start to say this word, let not your heart be troubled. In chapter 13, he watched their fate. And to be able to be in this fellowship with him, to explain everything to them. But after he explained everything to them, things to them, and exposed things to them, they got troubled, and they got nobody can open his mouth, as I as I said. So he came here to to comfort their hearts. He washed their feet, comfort their hearts, and then we'll continue in the in the next couple of chapters as well. So he said, not uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God, the one you don't see, but believe in me, because I'm going to leave you. You are not seeing me after that, so you still believe in me. I am the Son of God. It's amazing. We often read this section with our desires in mind. You know, that we want to be with the Lord, that we want to, you know, that we're so happy that he's made a place for us. But it's interesting when you read in John 17, it's clear that it's a desire from the Lord himself. You know, it's his deep desire to have us with himself. I will that they be where I am, that they may behold my glory. It's his desire. And I think. We looked at it a little bit yesterday that it was 
Peter was boasting of his love for the Lord, you know, and we boast of our desires, but it was John who had the right place and he boasted of the Lord's love for him. And I think it's a similar scenario here that we look and really enjoy the fact that this is the Lord's desire to have us where he is. Following from Brother Tedros, uh, the Lord is comforting his own seeing them troubled by uh, him telling them that he will depart from them. And he offer the comfort here in different way or in one or two, three ways. First of all, they, they used to know God invisible and they used to believe in him. And as we heard, he will be no longer with them physically, but he will be the object of their face. And also the second comfort here, we see that there is a place prepared for them, the father's house. And we maybe we have more comment in that father's house. And the third comfort is he will personally come again to be with them again in his coming. And all of these three things is ought to bring comfort to the disciple, hearing that he will depart from them. And also we have to make sure that it is equally for every and each believer to be comforted with all of this encouragement by the Lord's mouth. I mean, for sure, the disciples must have been troubled because they were still somehow believing that the Lord Jesus uh, would be their kings. And here he said to them, I will, lay down, I will lay down my life for thee. So he would disappear in a certain sense. So, And this is great that he's comforting comfort them here with this um, uh, great perspective that uh, he's giving them and it's not just something for the moment it's something eternal and it's not uh, just it's something for the earth it's, a, it's something for heaven it's uh, and uh, a brother said once what is how would you describe the father's house and uh, he couldn't f find a, a right solution and he said simply like this he said it is the place where the Lord Jesus is and this is true and this is encouraging because we know that there is no hindrance anymore when we will be in the Father's house um, with him to enjoy the full fellowship with him and I it's often mentioned that the Father's house is uh, here mentioned the first time in the Bible and somehow it's true and somehow not because when we look into John chapter 2 that it's also speaking the Lord Jesus about the Father's house but it says in John chapter 2 um, verse 16 it says uh, take thee things hence make not my father's house a house of merchandise this is a total, uh, complete 
different father's house. This is the temple, what he meant in, in, in John chapter 2. But here, it's the new the house for the believers. It's the father's house. And so it's true that it is mentioned the first time here. And I think it's so encouraging that we have a person who will be there or is already there and with whom we are connected right now. So we are connected by faith with the person who entered the first at first into the Father's house, the Lord Jesus. I think this is very encouraging. We have the direct connection with this person by faith. And I think it goes even far. I think if you have here three main aspects that we can find. So that first, the Lord Jesus will be there. He's giving us a place in heaven where we can stay forever. I mean, on this earth, it's it's somehow that we move from place to place. So I move to different times in my life. But this is a place where I will never move again. So this is where he will stay forever. And thirdly, he's telling them that he come again to take us into heaven. So great, three great points that he is um, uh, yeah, um, revealing to us here in these first verses. And we can go into the details a little bit now because it's so encouraging i think we won't uh, manage everything but it's uh, so encouraging to see that we have this great hope this great future still ahead of us in verse 2 he said in my house in my father's house are many mansions what does it mean many mansions i think the lord spoke to them according to their understanding for the temple, because the uh, the Jewish temple was the, there is too many rooms for the priests to dwell in temporary and the to dwell there to give praises. So according to their understanding about the temple and too many rooms or too many mansions in the temple, so he he spoke to them according to their understanding. In my father's house, there is too many mansions. Also, there is some thoughts about the Father's house here. Um, in verse 33, we've been looking at children. And now, in verse 2, chapter 14, we have the Father's house. In the Father's house, the relationship is between children and father. And here it is the blessed thing for each child of God that he has his relationship with the Father. Many abodes here, it is not like some wants to interpret it as variety of rank, but it is here no such thing. It is all believer in their relationship the same with one father at the father's house. I suppose the disciples were feeling here a sense of trouble like they had never felt before. We've remarked that the Lord often told the disciples what was going to happen. He often told them he was going up to Jerusalem and that he'd be rejected and mistreated and crucified and the third day rise again. But 
on all of those occasions, they either didn't believe or were too busy arguing amongst themselves or were fearful. They had not yet really understood that he was going away. And now at the end of chapter 13, he, he says, I am going and where I'm going, you cannot come. For once, now Peter, instead of saying, oh, no, that's not possible, Lord, that won't happen to you. Now, at least Peter asks the question, um, why, why can't I follow you? He accepts the fact that, yes, he is going. He still has some questions. But it's starting to dawn on the disciples that the Lord whom they had given up everything to follow was going. That thought. We've given up our businesses, we've given up our lives, we've given up our families, we've given up our culture. We're following you, Lord, and now you're telling us you're going? What's this? And now the Lord, in wonderful comfort, says to them, let not your heart be troubled. He gives them a compensation which is far greater than the compensation of the kingdom Remember when Peter asked, we've given up everything to follow you. What shall we receive? The Lord told him then they'd have a place, a special place in the kingdom. Here it's not the kingdom. Here it's something much more wonderful, much more intimate. The Father's house, as Manuel said, the place where the Lord Jesus is. He says in verse 2, I go to prepare your place. His going is the means of preparing the place. It's not, I go and after I've gone, I'll start preparing. I'll do something. You know, we, we see this silly sentiment about the Father's house, the Lord with, as a carpenter with, with some hammer and nails and a paintbrush and he's making some preparation there as if there's a deficiency in the Father's house. No, no. The fact of his going makes that place our place too because he is there and we are his, because he is there and he is ours, because he is there and our place is in him. Therefore, the Father's place is prepared. It's prepared by him going there. Would that link on to uh, First John chapter 3 for the comfort that it brings in? And to think of uh, where heaven is, or what is heaven, it's where the Lord Jesus is. What a great comfort that we can have. So it is encouraging to us to see, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called sons of God. What a wonderful thing to see, that we are sons of God, joint heirs in Christ. I think in um, Romans 8, it's, it speaks of, we have that spirit of adoption that we can cry, Abba, Father. It's Father, our Father, or Father, dear Father. And that's the love that the Lord Jesus has made known to us, that he's gone to prepare that place for us that we can be with him in his Father's house. That love that he had with the Father before the world was can now be opened up to us in the power of his Spirit. And, and that has an effect on us while we're here, that every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure for the glory of the Lord. 
Greg, can we say regarding uh, to prepare a place for you, is this going to the cross and complete and the, accomplishing the work on the cross, he made us qualified for this place? Can we say that? At the cross, he prepares us for the place. By going into heaven himself, he prepares the place for us. I, I think that perhaps is the summary. Our, um, sadly, our time has come to an end. Thank you for giving us a, a happy and profitable time together this afternoon. Thank you for every question, for every comment, every interaction between brother and brother, for every explanation that's been given of the verses. Thank you too for the wonderful subject of the Lord Jesus himself, the work that only he could do, that he could do only alone, and that joy that he has, that desire that he has, in wanting to have us with himself. We look to you that as we um, plan to come back again for meetings like this tomorrow and on Monday, that you'd keep this way open for us and um, give us prepared hearts and prepared minds so that we might be an encouragement to one another, that even though separated physically from one another, in our hearts and in our words and in our ways, we might in some small measure, express our love to one another, that love that's been made possible because of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.